0: Welcome to another episode of the Duke Lot Show. And today, we have a very special guest. Um, We're very honored and privileged to have this guest. Uh, We have Dr. Chuck Smith with us, and we're going to talk addiction, and we're going to talk medicine. We're going to talk substance abuse and diversity. And uh, this guy has really wrote the book on addiction as far as science and it's a must read if you have people that are suffering from the tragic effects of drugs and alcohol. So let me uh, get right into it. I want to tell you guys a little bit about Dr. Smith. Uh, He works as an addictionologist in South Florida where he provides patient care that includes detox, residential, and outpatient uh, management of addictive diseases. He's a graduate of Marshall University and the West Virginia School of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, Dr. Smith has completed an addiction medicine fellowship um, at the University of Florida, and we're so glad to have him here to talk about his experience and um, how we can help people overcome uh, substance abuse and um, treating it um, the same as uh, diabetes and heart disease, so we're so honored to have you here, and one thing we want to understand is that um, there's addiction science that matters, so he understands the, the science behind addiction, and that's one thing that we're passionate about and that we care about, and one can move forward if you can understand what, what stigma uh, lies ahead and have hope, so thank you, Dr. Smith, for, for, for being here with me.
1: Thank you, Duke. Thank you for that introduction, I
0: appreciate that. Yeah, if you could uh, give the audience a little bit more about yourself. Um, I tried to do the best job I could to introduce you, and um, we're just honored to have you here on the Duke Lot Show, and um, if you could give the audience a little bit more insight into uh, Dr. Smith, that would be great. Uh,
1: yes, sir, I was born on uh, southern West Virginia, a small coal mining town, Williamson, West Virginia. Um, There wasn't a lot uh, to make much difference as far as my early childhood development and my school. Uh, You know, I graduated high school, played some sports, uh, went to college. But one thing that does stand out is as I went to college, Mm -hmm. I found out that very quickly I took to alcohol. Okay. I would attend, you know, any parties, cake parties, but, you know, I thought that was just the way you uh, unwound at college or or, uh, celebrated or reward yourself for for hard work. But looking back on it now, I can see I had a higher tolerance for alcohol than many people did. Now, I tended to gravitate to more people than drank heavy. Okay. So, so my drinking was, was more pronounced at a young age than it should have been. Right. But I was still maybe able to make good enough grades. I got into medical school. Right. During medical school, I didn't drink very much. I found out I wasn't going to pass. Right. I did. (laughs) Uh, So I finished medical school and started practicing uh, a country doctor in West Virginia, which, uh, I didn't know exactly how stressful a job that would be, but it turned out it was very stressful. Yeah. So in my 30s, my genetic predisposition for addiction came out. My grandfather on my father's side died of alcoholism. My father died of alcoholism. So in my 30s, under a lot of stress, as many people have work stress, family stress, financial stress. Mm-hmm. I started drinking, right, and my drinking very quickly got out of control. Yes. Um, then, being a family doctor, I had access to samples of various medications mm-hmm. like Vicodin, yes. Hydrocodone, Xanax, and yeah. that would put me to about age thirty-three. And honestly, the next twenty years were a blur. I yeah. felt medicated. Uh, no one could do anything with me. I was basically a crazy man. Yeah. Until I got a visit from some very nice officers from the DEA. Yeah. Uh, wow. And actually, that was a horrible day. I it bet. saved my life. Oh, yeah. It saved my life. Yes. Uh, the two agents came in. I've been writing fraudulent prescriptions for years. Okay. Uh, going all over pharmacies, all around. We just made up people's names. The right. prescription was legitimate, but there was no person. Okay. The first taking them was me. So yeah. when they came, they said, we, you know, looks like you're a very sick man. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try to get you some help. They did say, we don't believe you've been taking all those. You've getting so many, we thank yourself. Yeah. They found out I wasn't. They found out I was just very sick with addiction. Okay. So what prompted me then to write this book when I got to treatment You know, I said, this isn't a disease, okay? I said, this Uh is bad behavior. I drank too much. Right. And I got hooked on pills. Uh. I I said, I had samples. That could happen to anyone. Okay. But it turns out what I learned from treatment from my future studies at the University of Florida, it is a disease, just like high blood pressure, just like diabetes. Yes. And that's what I wanted to do with the book, was explain what this is the disease of, Who's at risk to get it? Right. For example, my risk factors. And then what the modern day treatment looks like and what can put their disease in remission just like mine is. Now I'll have 13 years of November. Yay. That's that's what's up, man.
0: I'm so happy and proud of you because uh, it's one thing for a person to go to school, and just my opinion here, um, and just go through school and learn. Um, because I've taken different courses, I've taken different exams Um, that have to deal with substance abuse. And uh, for me, um, it's one of those things that what I would like to express is when a person goes through something, it makes the journey and the help and the book, it makes things a little bit different than a person that just is very educated. Now, I'm all for education, and I think education is great, but I think sometimes when you combine the two, a person that has education and has been through something, that brings together a person that can help a lot of people. And that's why I wanted to have you, um, because I don't know the whole story. I know what you and I have talked about. I know about the the book and things like that. But uh, just to be that guest that has been through something, that can share stories and be able to help other people and understand the risk factors, um, the pros and cons of AA. I'm just interested in your story. So can you tell us a little bit more about the the science behind addiction?
1: Well, as, as I begin studying this, uh, Most of the work, I looked from Nora Volkow. She's the uh, medical director of National Institute of Drug Abuse. She did much of the early studies on the dopamine reward system of the brain. Okay. So as I started studying that, I I started to see that this is a disease that takes over your thinking process. It takes over your happiness, your sadness, as well as your decision-making process. Okay. That certainly helped explain to me how I went completely crazy for 20 years and yeah. uh, put my life as well as my livelihood and many others in jeopardy because I stayed high all the time. I understood why that happened to me. Yeah. So that's what helped me start dealing with the shame and guilt and then ultimately forgive myself right. so that I could go on to, to help others. Almost every patient I see these days, and I see many patients, I work at several places here in South Florida, Okay. I don't make their case about telling them about me, but very quickly, I want them to know I know what you feel like right, and I know why I know why this happened to you, and I want to share with you what it's going to take to put it past you and to put it in remission and I found out even the most difficult patients, I can get to warm up to that they <laughs> they, they feel my empathy, they know yes. then oh he does know what this feels like. Right. So I so I do use that as a tool quite often. Yes. Then I want to know all their history. I want to know what all their stresses were. I want to know what their comorbidities were. I want to know what their substance use was so right. that I can direct them in, in future treatments. So the very first part of our book, the introduction and the preface, deals with many professionals don't feel you should share your own personal experience. Uh-huh. So we wanted to lay it out there that we don't feel that way. And that's Both Dr. awesome. Dr. Hunt and myself, we share our personal experience, yes. not to make the case about us, right? But simply so the patients know, and that they they know we know what they feel like.
0: Okay. And that's important. Um, you brought Dr. Uh, Jason Smith into it, and I know that's your colleague there, and he helped you, and you guys wrote the book together.
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. we actually met when I went, we went to treatment. We went to treatment in Alabama. Okay. And a, a little funny story, I thought there was that when I got there, I said, look, guys, I am in a world of trouble. Okay. I said, the feds are after me, more than one division of right. the federal government that has problems with me. Yeah. And very depressed, and I didn't even know I wanted to live anymore. Right. And they said, have you met that doctor from Kentucky yet? He's in more trouble than you. <laughs> and so I get... I guess it was a little bit of Misery Loves Company. I met Jason. I said, oh, yeah, he is in more trouble than me. <laughs> right. so, so basically then for the last 13 years, we've been like brothers from another mother. I, yeah. I followed him to uh, Tampa to okay. do addiction counseling. Then we both went to the University of Florida. Right. And he's still at the University of Florida today. We talk frequently. He just came down to visit me about a month ago. So yeah. it uh it truly was a friendship of life saving for both of them.
0: And that's wonderful to be able to go through that. I mean, that's a real story that you meet someone, you guys write a book together, and it's like, oh man, you know, we have so much in common. And I just uh I, I celebrate you and what I want to know is what do you think about uh, diversity and, and, as far as addiction and substance abuse uh, counseling and uh, just the, how it is for a person? Um, I'm sure you see different uh, races, backgrounds, people, um, different uh, colors. And, and what can you tell us about that? How does that look as far as treatment? What do you see more of?
1: Well, I'm, I'm actually very saddened for the disparity of health care in our country. That that there is both financial and rate segregation. Right. Obviously, the the way our system operates, the for-profit system, the people with the money usually get the best care. Right. And you know, health health. I certainly believe health care is a right. It, it's not a it's not a privilege. It's a right. Yeah. I mean, every civilized country in the world does that. So, I'm I'm disturbed by that. But at the same time, I always want people to know recovery is free. Right, so they they can start out, even if it's just with your local AA group. They can start out with different community services. They could go to some possible faith based treatment. Right, the, just to get your to getting your foot in the door for treatment may not cost all that much and require upper echelon insurance. Right, uh, SAMHSA website has many accesses for low-income people to get scholarships for treatment. There's, there's many routes. I never want to see someone continue to suffer for this disease because of socioeconomic problems.
0: How do you look at holistic medicine and how do you look at um, the different uh, ways of treatment? How do you understand um, because what I want to say is I went through a bout with addiction with alcohol and um, I recovered and relapsed. And then I went through a hip problem and I got addicted to opioids. And so what I would like to know is, um, what do you think is the best approach for a person that's going through severe pain and going through that pain where, um, they need, uh, something to kind of, um, to help them get through?
1: Yeah, well, in my view, in in both studying at the University of Florida and my previous studies, is I learned something: chronic pain and opioids are not a good match. Yes. And the first the first time I heard this statement, I didn't believe it. The first time I heard opioids cause pain, I was like, No, 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 that's 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 not right. Opioids are pain relievers. Okay. But now I know for long term chronic pain. They actually change your pain threshold so that the stimulus causes more pain to be recorded in your brain than if you didn't have the opiates on board. Now, for end-of-life care and for acute post-operative pain, they're still the best modality we have. But from taking opiates myself for 20 years, I know... My pain threshold was next to nothing. I mean, if I stumped my toe, you would have thought it was the end of the world. Right. And that's simply because I'd taken opiates, opiates, opiates. So anything that registered a little bit of pain was over the top. Okay. So now managing pain, I'm glad you mentioned holistic. I look at every aspect of the patient's life, I look at their diet, I look at their exercise program. I want to know if alcohol and drugs, other drugs are involved. I want to know their exercise. I want to know about their relationships. I want to know their work, their economics. I even have patients their credit score. Yeah. I, I want to know every aspect that can be stressful in their life and are they managing it across the board. Right. Because those are all the things that are required for long-term recovery and since you're in recovery, you totally know that. I'm sure you're implementing all those things yourself.
0: And I go through different bouts, and um I just know the the goal is the long term success you know um i I'm one of those ones that uh what I believe is that it's the whole man, so I believe that when you take care of your body, you watch the food that you eat and and you watch what goes in and what comes out. Um, I like to make time for quiet space. Sometimes I get up early in the morning. Um, I like the meditation process, and I believe in it. I believe in breathing techniques. and So what do you believe about um, the different approaches that, um, say, yourself or different therapists or, or doctors are taking to, to treat patients? Well,
1: I'm a big fan of cognitive behavioral therapy so patients can develop what is their best relaxation technique what is their best exercise technique what is the best diet for them i advocate for patients to educate themselves just as you've done the more you know about an issue the better self-care you can give. yes uh, myself i like contemplative meditations some people like Mindfulness. Some people, Buddhist meditation. There, there's many different types, but yeah. each individual has to find which one's going to work for him.
0: Right. I know that early in recovery, I know I spent a lot of times in this uh, room called in the rooms. Have you ever heard of that? It's yes. like yes. yes, and that was um, you know uh, big during uh, Corona and uh, the virus hitting, and people couldn't go to meetings and. So I want to ask you: What do you think a person should do that needs to go to an NA or an AA meeting? What kind of what kind of advice would you give that person?
1: Well, I certainly they, there's many of these meetings around. There's uh, websites where you can find out what is the style of the meeting: is it a women's only, men's only, yes. newcomers meeting. There's smoking, non-smoking. I mean, you can almost hand-pick exactly the style you want. Right. Then what I recommend for patients now, certainly I'm seeing them after they came to detox and entered rehab okay. But I tell them, I want you to study AA or NA just like a college course. Okay. I want you to read that book exactly like a college course. Educate yourself on it. Yes. Read it multiple times. And that, the, both those books will actually tell you, do you have this disease or not? Right. And then if you do, they will give you a pathway through those steps to put it in long-term recovery. Yes. Now, many people, the 12 steps is not enough. Right. Many people need cognitive behavioral therapy. They may need medication assistance therapists from an addiction doctor or a psychiatrist. Yes. They may have dual diagnosis, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, and also need Psychiatric medications. Okay. So it all can't be it can't be solved from everyone simply by the twelve steps. But I always recommend the twelve steps to people. I'm a true believer. It works if you work it.
0: Yes, and that's uh, we hear that Elijah meetings. It works if you work it, right? And I want to know what is your mission um, as far as your life, Um, turning yourself around, getting out of. Um, that hole that you're in. What's your miss- mission, and what do you, um, what do you want people to know as far as Doctor Smith is the help that he's trying to to give out to the world.
1: Well, my mission is to help as many people who are afflicted with the disease of addiction as I possibly can, mm-hmm. and not only help them find long term recovery themselves, but also help their family understand why this happened to them. Yeah. And and, yeah. and through all that, even influencing future generations, through yes. the genetic predisposition that we know, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, all those, if you have a first or second order relative, you're high risk for this disease. Okay. When you get 15, 16, 17, you don't have to drink alcohol. You don't have to smoke that weed. You don't have to take those pills. Because about 1 in 10 in the population is at high risk for this disease. Yes, So we can start out with the genetic predisposition. We also don't want them starting young. The dopamine reward system is very vulnerable when they're young. Okay. If we could keep people away from substances until they're 28 or 30, we'd have much, much less addiction. So I'm a big advocate for... Teenage sobriety.
0: Yes, and I'm so glad that you made that point because I have friends, uh, a personal friend of mine is um, she started a, a foundation called Johnny's Ambassadors, and uh, she's such a great lady. And the question I have for you is what do you think about the treatment of uh, those that are um, experiencing with marijuana? and cannabis and CBD and uh, how do you look at that because that's a big thing right now and me personally, I believe that um, a person should be free of all substances. Yes, I do believe that but because I struggled with opioid addiction, I'm against um, you know that per se and I don't advocate but I do understand um, those who use CBD oil um, and they, they smoke marijuana or they, they eat cookies or different things, how do you look at that as far as where we're going in the world? Because uh, we live in the same world, and I know you know uh, the the marijuana laws have changed, and it's a big deal right now.
1: Yes, they have, and, and strictly because of the fact that and marijuana hasn't been studied Nearly enough for it to be as widespread available as, as it is now yeah. and to be prescription marijuana. No other drugs that are on the market got there with that little bit of study. Okay. But we do know long term marijuana use both decreases dopamine concentration, okay. so you don't have enough, you don't have as much of your reward chemical, and it also blocks the receptors from uptaking it so okay. long-term cannabis use causes depression uh dysthymia as we call it just, okay just i'm not happy i'm not happy and I, and even anhedonia inability to experience pleasure right. so i'm not a fan of it yes. Now, once again if we're talking about in the life care Mm-hmm. That that'd be a different story. Yes. CBD that doesn't have the THC in it, at least from the studies I've viewed, doesn't seem to cause the dopamine problem. So okay. I have no issues with CBD at all. Yes, but long-term cannabis use, in my six seven years now practicing addiction medicine, I've never recommended it. Yes, and
0: that's good to understand because you know, like you know, there's different doctors who. Um, have different opinions, and, sure. um, you know, for me, I believe in the holistic approach. I believe in um, vitamins and mineral and good water, um, and I believe in taking care of the whole man, not just uh, your body, but your mind and your, your, your soul and your spirit. And I just wanted to ask you that question because I know um, a lot of people are struggling with marijuana addiction because they deem that society deems that it's acceptable, and it's become that thing. So how did, how does a a kid or a person growing up into adulthood or even a a, a middle aged adult deal with that kind of stigma that society is saying, okay, this might be okay. Um, so go ahead. You know, we're not gonna make that big of a deal about it.
1: Well, whenever I talk to junior high kids or high school kids, one thing. I go over the risk factors for who gets addiction. I go over that thoroughly with them so that they understand. Maybe it isn't a good idea that I that if I fall in with this peer pressure and smoke some weed or drink some wine uh, or take a, a pill because look at my family tree. Right. Also, look look at other conditions. Maybe I had some anxiety. Maybe I had some depression. Something we call comorbid. Uh, disorder. Maybe I haven't. There's a whole group of things we call adverse childhood experiences. There's even a scoring system that we have in the book that I took from from other sources. But if you were the victim of physical, sexual, emotional abuse of the child, your risk of addiction is much higher. So I want these children, high school kids, junior high school kids to know who's at risk. And I I found kids are smart. Yes, you give them the facts. They they have the ability to make good decisions. Yeah, I mean some of the most powerful of uh, the tobacco commercials that I've seen against smoking. Tell the kids the truth. Right, you know. And yeah. when I see those, and I hear, I see their response back. They go, I didn't, I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> right, you know. So. Yeah, and that's, that's good when so. you can light up that light bulb. And that's uh, that's that's great because I totally one hundred percent believe. Uh, what you just said to be true and um, I agree totally and where do you think we go as a country um, dealing with so much addiction and dealing with the 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 health care and how it costs so much for a person to uh, to receive help because a lot of people don't ask for help because they don't have the financial resources and The Duke Lot Show is all about trying to figure out how we can get past that, eliminate some of the, if not all, the financial uh, stress that that addiction brings when it comes to receiving treatment. Where do you think we go as a country in treating um, uh, the mass of people that's uh, addicted?
1: Well, I I truly believe that education is the key here. And as we saw with many other diseases, with HIV, with cancer, uh, many other diseases, even using the cliche word, come out of the closet. Addiction mm-hmm. doesn't need to be his anymore. I mean, okay. it, it needs to be taught in early school. Just because you teach, you know, grade school and junior high kids about drugs and alcohol doesn't make them want to go out and use them. They need to be educated. Yes. So the same way with with getting treatment access to treatment, people need to know treatment's not some big mystery, right? You know, so that they know, okay, what options are available to me. Yes. Every physician that I know would love to see the healthcare crisis being solved better than it is. Yeah. You know, with Obamacare was a big move. I understand, but still, I see many patients who are uncovered. Right, and and that's, that's a dilemma that unfortunately I don't have the answer to. But yeah. I think as with as with many movements, bringing it out of the closet, bringing it to the forefront is how you get attention to it. Yes. So you know, addiction is not just people who lack willpower. It's not people who make bad decisions. It's not bad people. It's sick people. Yes. And they, given the right set of circumstances and the right treatment, they can get well just like I did.
0: Yes. So, I have to ask, one of the things that um, my podcast is about and that the Duke Lot Show and that I stand for is trying to understand how to help all people because I believe in diversity, culture, and everybody having a seat at the table. But I do want to ask, because I am an African-American male, and I want to ask, what do you think is, um, we see the numbers of uh, uh, people that are going through addiction and the numbers um, uh, seem unreal sometimes um as an african American and as a person of color, what advice would you give um not just to me but to the masses of people um that need to receive treatment, but they don't they're scared they go through this tough attitude of of i don't need treatment and um I don't need this or that how do you deal with that as and as a counselor, and I'm wondering, as a doctor, do you see that kind of thing?
1: I, I do. And I've had, I've had many, uh, both Hispanic and African-American young males who came for uh, either heroin, cocaine, or alcohol. Yes. When I mentioned cannabis to them, they're like, oh, oh, but that that's just weed. Yeah, okay? right. I can smoke weed and be sober. Right. I just try to educate them. You know, I I spend so much time with each patient explaining the dopamine reward system. I actually give each patient I see a copy of my book. And I say, please read at least some of this and let's talk about it tomorrow. I want you to understand why I use the old army phrase, a commercial, be all you can be. I say, for you to be the happiest, healthiest individual that you can be. It's mind-altering substance free.
0: Yes. Let
1: this miracle of a brain and a body that was given to us do its work. Yes. Well, when you're putting those poisons, and I really do look at the poison. Now, yes. When you're putting those poisons in, you can't be all you can be. Yes. But without those and managing all the other things that you just said, my relationships, my intake of food, my exercise, my, uh, my whole life, to yes. manage stress and give myself a chance for this being to work, it will. Yes. And that that's the part I try to get across to them that I tell every one of them that I'm at fortunate enough to see recovery free. Yes. But it's going to take some coaching. So I think it's very important with what the work you do and certainly the work I do yes. that we educate these people so they can see the right path to go on.
0: Yes. And, and
1: that that's really my mission with the book and my mission and my work as much as anything, is spread the word.
0: Yes. And um so the book is called uh, Understanding Addiction, uh No Science, No Sick, No Stigma. And um we it, it's a must read and um can you tell us a little bit about the book?
1: Yeah, the the book actually is a uh This term in medical school a lot to teach medical students a clinical case presentation. Yes. So, what this book is, it presents two cases, mine and Dr. Hunt. Then we go through the brain pathophysiology of addiction, the dopamine reward system. We go through the risk factors, as I said, the genetics, adverse childhood experiences, dual diagnosis. And then we go through what modern day treatment looks like. Yes. Who needs detox? who actually needs to come to treatment, who could do outpatient. And then what long-term management looks like. We use the the prototype of the programs that are used for doctors, nurses, and airline pilots that have up to 90% long-term success rate. So I advocate that just when you go to rehab or when you go to detox, that's just the start. And then it's a matter of living it every day. And after most... Over 90% of doctors, nurses, and airline pilots have been in these programs five years. They never relapse again. That's giving them time to do two very important things. Yes, The brain heals from no mind-altering substances, and hopefully they've developed coping skills so they know how to deal with stress. They know how to deal with celebration. Yes. They know how to deal with all life aspects without mind altering substances. Yes. Um, I always tell patients, this is one of the best diseases I can tell them they have based on prognosis. If I get a compliant patient, yes. they can get better. Yes. And that's... When, they, when they don't comply with the recommendations, it's no different than the guy who doesn't take his blood pressure pill. Yeah, blood pressure doesn't go down, <laughs> right? And, and that's an analogy I use all the time.
0: Yes, and that's uh, wonderful, and I'm I'm glad you shared that with the with the audience, and uh this podcast has been so informative. Um, I know that people that are struggling with addiction, um are are being able to be helped if they listen to this, and um, I just want to ask you, where do you see Doctor Smith in, in two years?
1: You know, when I was a young man, I probably, I'm 66 now. Okay. I, I, if you would have asked me at 30, what well, would you be doing at 66? I would said I'll be retired somewhere. Right. Now, actually, this is so much fun what I do. I have no interest in retiring. There you so, go. <laughs> e- easily two, five, ten years, I'll be doing the same thing okay. that I'm doing now. Yes. Uh, doing detox work is particularly rewarding. I get to see people come in so sick. Right and, and I know how sick they are because I've been there, right. and then within, within a week's time, we see this miraculous yeah passing. We get them detox from the medications, they start smiling, they start laughing again.
0: Yes. Then,
1: you know, their life on life terms has hit them. they've got things to deal with, but right. I, I fully envision the rest of my life that I can get up and still walk to work <laughs> and, and do the things that communicate yeah. is, is doing this the work I'm doing now.
0: Well, uh, we are so honored to have you, Dr. Smith, and I appreciate you sharing your knowledge with my audience. I appreciate your story. I appreciate the book. And um, can you tell uh, anyone that's listening how to reach out to you and how to find you?
1: Yes. Uh, as you said, the book's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's Understanding Addiction, No thoughts, No Stigma. I have a website which is helpsaddiction, H-E-L-P-S, addiction.com. Yes. I have an email, which is helpsaddiction at gmail.com, and it, it, that uh, is in the book also. And quite often people get the book. They email me with either questions mm-hmm. or want to know about follow-up programs or podcasts that I'm doing. I have Instagram yes. that d- that. We post recovery messages, and we usually replay podcasts like this one when I do them. So anyone, feel free to reach out to me at helpsaddiction at gmail.com. Well, we thank
0: you so much for being a part of this podcast. And here at the Duke Lot Show, we celebrate people like you. We love the story. We love the diversity that you bring to the table in understanding what it's like to go through addiction and share that with the next man and help someone and that's what we're all about helping trying to um get people to reach out uh because a lot of times what we believe is that people are, are afraid to, are afraid to reach out and if we can break down that stigma and help them understand that it's okay to talk to somebody um to uh reach out to a person that might be able to help them we are all for that and We would like to say thank you so, so much for uh, being a guest and um, thank you for all the work you do. And and we're so honored to have your professional expertise and knowledge and wisdom uh, that the audience will uh, be able to listen to and and hopefully uh, help someone uh, reach past the the stigma and the, the addiction that they may be going through. Thank you so much.